Hello, this is Tom Pasello, the ROI guy, and welcome to the Evolvers podcast sponsored by Mediafly, the Evolve selling company. Our mission is to provide you with the practices, tools, and advice to accelerate your sales, content, and value enablement journeys. My guest today is author, podcaster, keynote speaker, and selling consultant, David Fisher, better known as DFish. Uh, David, he's written only nine books, <laughs> including <laughs> the bestsellers, Hyperconnected Selling and Networking in the 21st Century. And uh, David, let me know, new editions are being released at the end of September. Uh, he is the host of Beer, Beats, and Business, which is a podcast that shares casual conversations with leaders in sales, marketing, and entrepreneurship. Uh, David is back for his second interview with the Evolvers. I think after three interviews, you get a jacket, David. Kind of like <laughs> I'll work towards it. I'll work towards it. Yeah, and uh, we uh, we had David on the show kind of just right at the start of the crisis, I think, and he's written a couple of really good articles recently, certainly has um, the new editions of the book. So I wanted to dive in and get some new content, some new insights from the man himself, Evolvers. Please welcome DFish, David Fisher. Hey, Tom, always a pleasure to chat with you. Awesome. So as I said, we connected on our last interview, kind of just as the lockdowns yeah. And, and selling moved virtually. Um, how do you think most sellers are coping with the transition? <laughs> uh, with mixed results, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I think when we first chatted, it was, oh, hey, we might be uh, we might be locked down for a week or two. We might not be able to go see our our, our buyers for a couple weeks and. Oh, and then now we're almost 18 months into some form of, of social distancing. I think it's been a real strain, um, to be straightforward, on sellers, on sales leadership, on uh, sales organizations. And, and the reason why is because it's been a real strain on humanity, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, this is not an a industry-specific thing or a profession-specific. I, I don't know a single friend of mine, and I don't know if you do, who's like, hey, the last 18 months have been so easy and fantastic. And I feel so light and, and airy. And so I think that any conversation about how selling has evolved and changed has to acknowledge that, you know, that, that's the elephant in the room. We've all had to, go, to live through that, right? So a couple of things that I've experienced and just get confronted. First of all, I think that I'm incredibly more efficient than ever before. You know, it would be that every week I'd be on a plane somewhere, coming back on a plane, traveling all over the place. There's a lot of transit time and, you know, that's yeah. disappeared. So you've gotten that time back. At the same time, it's some days, Zoom after Zoom after Zoom, and you <laughs> breathe in between them, much less take notes or prep for the next meeting. So, right. yeah, so that burnout, definitely real. Um, I think as a team member, it's really easy to feel disengaged. Yeah, 100%. And, yeah, and there are some sellers we're working with who have never met anyone physically in the organization at all. Right. Hired virtually, onboarded virtually, have never met a customer in person. And my gosh, what a unique quote unquote experience. <laughs> unique, unique. That's a, a good way of describing it, right? Yeah. I, I think this has, has come up in a number of conversations over the last, I would say throughout 2021, where if we look at 2020, 
I feel that we really went through 10 years of digital transformation in 10 months. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people nod their head and smile and agree with that. And I think that we still haven't really wrestled with what that change means. Uh, it was interesting, the, the LinkedIn state of sales report that came out you know, uh, in 2021, it really, if you kind of read between the lines, it was not only our salespeople in this unique situation, but also sales leadership. So like your frontline sales managers, your director of sales, VP of sales, they're struggling going, how do we actually lead a team mm -hmm. when we have people that we've never met <laughs> reporting to us? And uh, especially I, I spoke with a couple of friends who are sales leaders and they're much more used to that collegial, um, th that uh, environment, that culture of motivation and being in the office. And I, I think that for people like you or me, we got time back because yeah, we, we don't have to travel as much, but for average seller, they, they did, you know, if they weren't traveling a lot, sure they got a little bit of time back but what they really got was this space that they didn't know what to do with right it may be too much space yeah. so learning how do i motivate how do i manage myself when i can technically get up whenever i could maybe just jump on slack to make it look like i'm working we're we're definitely in the beginning of kind of figuring out how do you sell and manage and in a digital environment i think even as we open up hopefully eventually sooner rather than later it's still going to be more of a hybrid than it ever was before. Yeah, and I think you're right about the transformation that occurred, uh, particularly just the amount of technology and technological innovations that have been thrown at sellers right now. You know, yeah. it accelerated the adoption of sales enablement platforms like Mediafly, of yeah. learning platforms, of um, customer, you know, conversation intelligence platforms, mm -hmm. and solutions like that. So outreach. So um, talk about that. Are, are those innovations and this pace of digital transformation, what it reminds me of is this uh, kind of outstripping that probably has occurred to many sellers within the past kind of three, six, 12 months that they've experienced. Yeah. All of a sudden, there's a whole new toolkit, a whole new approach that, yeah, they're keeping up with, but certainly unsettling. hundred uh, percent. And I would actually suggest that what we saw over the course of the pandemic was not technological innovation. And what I mean by that is Zoom isn't new. LinkedIn isn't new. Sales and Mediafly didn't start in March 2021 or 2020, right? Sure. So all these tools were there. It's just that the adoption was, it was accelerated by gunpoint in some ways, right? <laughs> you know, and I do a lot of work with organizations around LinkedIn, for example, LinkedIn's been around for almost 20 years, but people didn't really need to wrestle with it or didn't need to think about how their sellers were engaging online because they're like, ah, it's a nice to have, it's a luxury. All of a sudden they're like, oh crap, I can't meet people in person. Yeah, It's just going to be a Zoom and hey, they're going to go to my profile and check me out or hey, am I sharing content that's effective? And I love the word you just used there. It, I think it did outpace or outstrip the support that we were given. I, I think that what, and this is still kind of in the beginning stages. I think what some organizations are really realizing is, hey, we need to go back to the beginning and do some, not only is just some training on these platforms, but it's, and I get pulled into this a lot where it's, hey, can you teach us how to use all these tools? And 
what we really find is like, we let's, let's get some baseline sales training, right. Or like help the sales team understand what they're actually trying to do and then go, Hey, now we have these tools that will help you do it better. Cause I think a lot of them are kind of, they, they just kind of slap the tools on. Cause you're like, Oh, Oh boy, we need to like share content better. You use this or here, we need to have this learning platform, use this. And <laughs> That outstripping, I think, is definitely becoming much more apparent. I, I, at least that's how I see it. I'm not sure what you're saying. Yeah, and I think a lot of it has been, you know, there's been a lot of feature training. But as you said, how does it apply yeah. back to the methods? How uh, yeah. selling, the process of selling, what are the specific use cases? And how do we amplify those as opposed to showing off all the platform's capabilities? <laughs> training, right? It's like, hey, we've got this new tool. Let me show it off to you. Here's all the things it can do. Well, and then they show another tool off the next day and another right. tool off the next day. And meanwhile, there's a whole toolkit, yet what's the simplified use case set and how do I use these things? Or now that I've got all this content that you developed, all this you know, fancy interactive content that I can use in these meetings to make them more interesting, well, what are the pieces that I need to use for this situation or that situation? And really refining yeah. it. I like your, your approach of going back to basics. Well, to even your point about having all of this fancy content and support for the salespeople, and that's great, but you still have to sit down with uh, a salesperson. And, and this depends a bit on the organization and the, the tenure of your sales professionals, but a lot of, hey, if you've just been hired in the last 18 months or a couple of years, you're still trying to figure out how to run a good sales presentation. Like, let's keep it as simple as that. How do you have a good conversation, which by the way, is more challenging because you probably never met this person. You might never meet this person in, in the flesh. So how do you have a good digital conversation over Zoom on, you know, do all the things that are kind of the foundational pieces of a sales business profession, right? Asking the discovery questions, uncovering needs, really connecting your solutions that beyond the, the features into the benefits. Mm -hmm. But how do you do all that? And then go, okay, now that you have that foundation, let me show you how we have Mediafly. Let me show you how you can actually pull that great content so that when somebody says, oh, hey, we're going to go you know, with this competitor, you go, oh, let me give you a comparison. And it's really, it's a cool piece of content. But let me, let's teach you now how to apply that at the right time. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. So easy to just be like feature, feature, feature. And the salespeople are just like, I just need my life to be easier. Right. Help me do my job. You got to remember that at the end of the day, they still have to have rapport with the customer, which I see has been on the decline with virtual yep. media. You know, that rapport building, that taking the time in the beginning to have a casual conversation, you know, to, to learn a little bit about them personally, like you would in a real meeting in person, um, to do the right discovery questions, not just yep. answer the, hey, I, you know, we really want a demo of your system. Well, yeah. don't just dive into the demo, even though they're asking for it. And that's the stage that they're at. You got to take some time and make sure you understand the challenges and the use cases and then do it. Yeah. And then, and then the storytelling, I think, has I've seen that decline. So those are three areas where I think three basic areas that I've seen on the decline in the virtual. It's more a show up and throw up demo, a show up and throw yeah. up without the rapport building, the discovery and the storytelling. Are you seeing some of those same things? 100%. Okay. And I, I, that being said, I think I was seeing that, at least for me, and I, I think we could get people with different perspectives. I was seeing that before the pandemic. So mm -hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to blame 
coronavirus for this one. Yeah. I think that this is, and I've been preaching this since hyperconnected selling came out a couple of years ago, that it's so easy to just follow the technology and just think that we have tools that are, that are going to do our jobs for us. Mm-hmm. But really the, the sales profession, if it could be replaced with your sales tools, they don't need a salesperson, right? What, what, and, and so I think what we were seeing is that the really successful salespeople were the ones who ha- either had the soft skills or stumbled into those soft skills or happened to work with an organization early on that was teaching them. As you said, storytelling, rapport building. I, I, I got my start selling cutlery at people's kitchen tables. And so I had to learn very quickly how to have that five-minute conversation, right? Even before you and I started our, our podcast, before we hit record, we just checked in with each other and we, we've had other conversations yeah, over the past few years. And everything else that was going on there. And um, yeah, exactly. And I think that's important because I do think that you can have great relationships that are virtual. David, yeah. you and I have not met in person, but Ever. You know, I, kinda, I feel like I know you. I know you you know, as, as well as if we did meet in person, because we have taken that time to yeah, learn about each other's musician career or, <laughs> or, our, or our, right? But that's what yeah. you do still. And so I love your concept of get back to the basics while still almost accelerating and leveraging the digital transformation that's occurring, but make sure that you're, you've got a track for both because we right. can dehumanize this whole process you know, and that may seem odd coming from a company, you know, we're media fly, right? So we yeah. do value enablement and content enablement and sales enablement and there's great tools. But um, a lot of time I spend and the research I like to highlight is you've got to have the soft skills on top of the yeah. hard content and hard uh, tooling to make sure that it's effective. Yeah. Well, one of the ideas that I, I share a lot is this idea of being a sales Sherpa right? Where I, I call it, you're the Sherpa, you're the guide up the mountain. And, and that role is very relational. It's very, let me, you know, I, I tell people all the time, like, if you want to be successful, connect with your prospect before they're ever a prospect, mm-hmm. before they even know they're a prospect. Yeah. I mean, if somebody, if I'm sitting now with a client of mine, and it's pretty obvious, they need some, some sales enablement help, some content help, guess who's going to be on the short list of people I'm going to recommend them to you guys. Why? Cause I know you. And I know a number of people in your organization. I know you, you may or may not have the solution, but I know that you're good people who will treat that referral. Well, mm-hmm. that's, that's, it's very easy to get away from that. And mm-hmm. I think that in, in kind of this push, and I think a lot of this actually is very specific to the, to certain segments, for example, tech, where it's like, hey, let's grow and we're going to throw as many SDRs or, you know, just just numbers, numbers, numbers. And it, and it just doesn't work well long term versus, as you said, having that that foundational underpinning. I, I think when I see organizations that do uh, sales enablement well or tools well, again, I, I work with a lot of companies that come to me because they're like, hey, we want to use Sales Navigator more effectively on LinkedIn. I go, okay, well, what are your people doing? <laughs> you know, like, how are they engaged? Because also from, I think, a practitioner point of view, if you tell a salesperson, use this tool, use Mediafly because it's good, eh, you're going to get some adoption. If you mm-hmm. ask that salesperson, what do you wish you could do better? Hey, I wish I could, you know, 
have very precise content to, to answer customer objections. I just always seem to be getting, oh, hey, let me show you this cool tool that'll do this in a couple of clicks. Exactly how to do it, yep. And that's how we get the adoption. But you have to take time organizationally and I don't know if you want to call it training or enablement or coaching, whatever, but you have to put some attention on that. Completely agree. Um, you mentioned the LinkedIn research, which I love uh, that yeah. they're involved in doing more in this area. And they've got this concept of buyers first. And I know you've seen this. And you, <laughs> say, you know, although 60% of sellers indicate they always put buyers first, uh, you know, only 24% of buyers actually agree with that. Yeah. Huge gap. And it points to exactly what we're talking about. Yep. And I've, I've had a chance to collaborate with uh, the LinkedIn uh, sales solutions team. Uh, actually, we, we did some interviews on buyer first and, and all that kind of good stuff. Here's actually what uh, blows my mind more. Not the gap you mentioned, but the gap between 60% and 100% of buyer, of sellers yeah. who say that they're, they're buyer first. Because when I the concept was first broached, I, I, I'll be very straightforward. I was kind of like, why are we even talking about that? Shouldn't a seller be buyer first? Like, yeah, aren't you're doing something wrong? I mean, I've always considered sales at its core as a service, right? It's any any salesperson I've met, no matter what your uh, industry is, vertical, whatever. The best salespeople are, and, and I should say this over who have endurance over the long term. Everybody can pop here and there, but the ones that are like long term, you're like they're a great salesperson are always buyers first. They're always taking care of people, and I think that. You know, the other gap you mentioned, the 24% of buyers who actually feel taken care of versus the 60% of sellers who say they're taking care of their buyer, that's, that is the opportunity. That is that blue water that if, you, uh, if you're listening to this as a, an active practicing customer-facing salesperson, that is, that is your opportunity. Find ways to make sure that every person you're interacting with goes, Susan is taking care of me. Bill is Bill is on my side. If they think that, that's that's where I think the opportunities come from. That's that sales sherpa path I was talking about. Yeah. And David, I also think there's a leadership path here that can be amplified as well as mm. a path because we've all seen the leadership path that says, you know, although it's good to have a sales process, you know, if you are so rigid with it, um, we've seen the impact of that. Where that's first and foremost what becomes you know, company first, as opposed yep. to buyer first, you're driving them through a process. We've got to drive our customers to this step and that step and the next step. Are, are they ready? Is that really right. the next step for them? You know, is what you kind of ask if you've got that buyer's first mentality. Um, same thing in, uh, you know, in sales enablement. I think we can train sellers to be buyers first. We can enable them with content. Um, to be buyer first, to be facilitators and set up the content. So it's facilitating the buyer's journey, not pushing our products, right? So there's, That's it. there's an enablement in the leadership as well to, as you said, this is probably the biggest opportunity we've had mm -hmm. um, in, in possibly a lifetime is really, you know, buyers are demanding sales as a service or even to put it up a level, you know, value as a service. They deliver, right. deliver value to me as a service. And if you're the company that's able to do that, to have sales as a service to the customer and deliver value as a service, you're going to win. Yeah. Well, and I think that also highlights probably one of the biggest struggles that a lot of sales organizations are running into. 
because you just highlighted the enablement and the leadership perspective. So let's be very straightforward. If you're a sales leader, so let's call it a VP of sales, or you know maybe even now, depending on the size of your organization, et cetera, even some often you know a frontline sales manager, you came up in a very different world. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I started my sales career almost 25 years ago. Back when there was very little internet, there was very little email wasn't even really a thing. And in that sales environment, you reaching out to a customer might have been the only way they could get information. Mm-hmm. They were going to listen to you. you they pick up the phone and be like, actually, I want to have such and such salesperson come because I want their new brochure. And the in that environment, the seller has the control. We're not in that world at all. You, you referenced the buyer's journey. They are in charge and we can push all we want. And every time we push, all it's going to do is piss people off and they're going to go talk to somebody else, yeah. right? And so, ignore, so sales leadership have to kind of understand, hey, the world has changed. These kids in their rock and roll that I don't understand, right? You've got to pay attention. I mean, I, I hear that all the time talking to sales leaders about social. I'm like, hey, you're not going to sell anything on LinkedIn, right? You're not going to write up a contract or an order, but your people better be on there because if they're not, you're, you're just losing opportunities. Yeah, because community is so important and yep. nurturing and thought leadership is so important to be viewed that way. And, you know, value-added reach out and sharing and, and curating are all important skills to have as a Sherpa that you need to kind of have out there. Yeah, exactly. And it all comes down to something that you, you promote a lot, David, and thank you for doing this, which is trust. <laughs> I, was, I was like, where are we going oh, with sorry. this? <laughs> I'm like, uh-oh. Um, Amygdala overload is just a fact of where we're at today. Everything is very uncertain still, even 18 months into this whole uh, journey that we're taking through the pandemic. (laughs) Right. Uh, Are we open? Are we closed? Are we traveling with business? Are we going into the office? These are all still fundamental questions that are out there again and repeating over and over again. Um, Think about the buyer in this environment and how stressed out they are about where their budget's going to be, whether they're going to have a job or not, whether their kids are going to school or not. (laughs) Right. You know, there's personal issues, organizational issues, business issues that they're dealing with. And when amygdala overloads in place, there's already stoked emotion. So you got to be careful with things like Challenger and trust now to me is the biggest buy button if you think of the three as you know, logic to logically convince someone to change, emotionally can you know convince someone to change, which is the whole basis of Challenger and that whole movement over the past mm-hmm. decade. Um, now I think trust is coming back into prominence. Talk talk about the importance of trust and kind of how you recommend sellers get it in this virtual world. All right, we're gonna go a little logos pathos ethos. You know, if we want to <laughs> dive in there, a little Aristotelian uh, uh, rhetoric. <laughs> You know, hey, we can geek out on that, but you know that idea of trust as being, and and here's something I think Challenger kind of got right, or just that that whole idea of like I'm going to challenge my um, my prospect. That only works if I trust you first, mm-hmm. right? That only works if we actually have that foundation that I know you're on my side. I mean, think about who you get defensive uh, with in your personal life, if it's a spouse who you trust and says, Hey, by the way, I'm going to bring up something that you might want to get better at. Okay. Yeah. You'll listen to that versus some person you haven't met. You're like, I'm going to ignore them. I, I think trust 
is so critical because of that overload you're talking about, because there are so many competing uh, information sources. And again, I don't think that's a sales thing. I think that's a society thing that we're still wrestling with. And we are very much in 50 years, we're going to look back at this time. We're going to look at the elections of 2016 and 2020 and probably 2024 and go, holy cow, was that crazy? We're going to look at the information slash misinformation of coronavirus and be like, holy cow, how did people get anything done? Mm-hmm. And so I think when you look at what a seller has to do, even before you talk about, to your point, features or the products, it has to be going to those soft skills and going, can I build a trust? The foundational parts of that, time spent together, attention spent together, um, presence, like we trust people that are around more. I think, you know, again, I'm plugging a little bit the idea of using things like digital platforms or LinkedIn, just mm-hmm. because, yeah, you and I only speak maybe once every six months, but I see you, you see me. I'm like, hey, Tom's a known quantity. He, that that presence does actually have a uh, an impact on trustworthiness. And uh, my good friend, Joey Davenport, you know, runs a, uh, a training platform and one of their most, powerful sales uh, classes is trustworthy selling, right? I mean, it's, this is not something you or I have come up with. It's, it's in the atmosphere, but I think the first thing you do is actually try to create that trust, be that trusted resource, not just because it sounds like a good idea, but because you want to be there. You want to be buyer first. Yeah. Yeah. And it has to be authentic as you're saying. Um, Cause that percent, right. Um, we're really good, um, even our generation, but certainly generations that have come later than us have been inundated with ads and digital and other <laughs> things. They're great at sniffing out inauthenticity in a lot of uh, instances. And then certainly sometimes not too, which is, I don't want to get down that rat hole, but. Well, it's it's tough. And I think yeah. to your point about overload, where I think a lot of our, our buyers are is the fact that we're exhausted by having to test, mm-hmm. having like, internally go, wait, can I trust this? Can, should I not? Like the more you can say to somebody, really what you're doing when you're saying you can trust me, Rachel Botsman has a great book on this. um, Who can you trust? Which is all about trust in the digital age. Highly recommend it. But really what trust allows you to do is to not, is it allows for somebody to take action when there's, uh, I forget her definition, but when there's imperfect information in the environment, but I'm still going to move forward, right? Your buyers don't know for sure that what you're selling is going to help them. Yeah. And they have to, but they have to make a decision about whether or not they're going to move forward. So when you're creating trust, what you're saying is, okay, you can make the leap, right? It's that bridge that you're building. So as you said, there's a presence element to it where you trust people that are just around and that are out there and that you see doing good work and good things. Yep. Um, There's a risk in some of that, though, in that you do have to curate a little bit at the same time because you don't want to overload them. So that's important as well. And then certainly references is something I'm sure you get into a lot with your LinkedIn social approach. Um, Talk about that a little bit and um, some of these other elements that you recommend sellers think about when they're trying to build a trust. Yeah, and I think that goes to, to... A lot of the foundational work I've done with networking, right, which is this word that gets thrown around a lot with not a lot of thought. But one of the things about networking or what we're doing when we're creating our network is we're creating connections, right? We're creating links with a lot of people. 
And what it allows us to do if we're putting time into those relationships is to get that, that referral, that testimonial. It allows us to basically piggyback on the trust that we've built with one person and to go into a new network. And I actually think that one of the best things a sales professional can do right now is on the extreme daily, but at least weekly or a couple of times a week is spend time actually networking. Mm -hmm. And that means whether that's digital on LinkedIn or some other platforms, whether that's depending on where you are and the safety, you know, going out to a, a conference or a meeting or, hey, just having a one-on-one -on -one Zoom call with somebody. And this is what's important. Who's not a specific prospect that you have in your pipeline right now, right? Mm -hmm. It's a colleague, a peer, somebody who you just trust as a professional. But more often than not, those conversations and relationships then open up to where you can realize you have a shared connection or, you know, you can realize, oh, you know, somebody at the company that I'd like to talk to, can you introduce us? Mm -hmm. I, you know, both you and I have large networks. We've been in, in our careers for a while. We're the kind of people where it could be hard to get our time, but I, I know there's people in your life and there are in mine where if I got an email, Hey, you should really talk to, you should really talk to well, right away. Time. You're setting those. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. I mean, if, if, if Joe says I should talk to you, we're going to talk. Yeah. But that requires that investment. It's, it's like, a, it, it's farming, right? It's, you got to plant the seeds, you got to cultivate them. You know, I, we were talking about the, the new editions of my books. It's been great seeing the support that I've been able to ask for from, you know, other authors, from my network, from, from uh, clients, friends, peers, but it's because I've spent the last 20 years building up those relationships. Yeah. And, and so I think if a, a salesperson can actually invest kind of intentionally for the long term, right? Not trying to just get something right away, which is tough when you have your sales manager breathing out your neck, trying to say hit quota, hit quota. But that's, I think, where there's a lot of opportunity for many, many sales professionals right now. Very true. And I do think that we need to, certainly quota is important and hitting forecasts and all of those things are important. But one of the things that I've been a proponent of is promoting good Sherpa-like practices and even micro-incenting behaviors mm. as opposed to ultimately the results. Now, at the end of the day, we're there to help the company grow and revenue and everything else. But you know, especially during a time like this, if you're able to reward good actions and behaviors and cultivating type practices like you speak of, um, and take a little bit of a longer term view, I think that could be helpful to moving the organization to be more buyer first, as opposed to company first, which is all about the quota and the forecast. Yeah. Or even finding a balance as you and I both have been in the sales game long enough to know, Hey, you got to track what's happening. You got to track your numbers, but even to be able to say, Hey, I love what you said. Let's incentivize some of the, whether that's, I, I'm biased here, but being on LinkedIn and doing some posting and sharing content from the organization, whether that's, hey, why don't you have two conversations a week? Talk to your sales manager. I do think this is where organizations need to actually support their sales leaders, whether again, especially sales, frontline sales managers or even anybody who's working directly with their salespeople because they're feeling the pressure. So I've been in meetings, pipeline meetings, where all it is is like, where's your pipeline? Are you hitting quota? Blah, blah, blah. There's no actual coaching because the sales manager doesn't know how to coach. Nobody's told, taught them. 
But I love that idea of balancing the, the activity and the results, not just, not just results. And by the way, not just activity either, or else then you just spin your wheels. Yeah. And, and to me, activity sometimes relates to internal sales process activity, but to me, it's more yeah. out, out, uh, outside in type efforts that yeah. will, will be buyer first oriented. And so mm -hmm. this could be making sure that you've got, you know, shared business objectives with the customer, make sure that there's a solid business case with specific outcomes, um, make sure you're helping to facilitate the decision by sharing the, the checklists and the, and the security documents. And Actually do some research. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do some research even ahead of time, make sure there's a filled out discovery guide that's been completed. You know, so it's the behaviors that will orient your sellers towards buyer first that I think we can perhaps put in place as part of the process, not making just an internal process, but an external oriented one. Love that. Um, so I want to pivot. I know that you're <laughs> a drummer, although I, I am. I haven't heard you play. I don't know if there's a drum kit back there. You could maybe on one of our interviews kind of <laughs> go back to and, and uh, you know, have a couple of licks on it. But there, um, there you go. I'm a musician as well, a keyboard player, an old wedding band musician from Long Island. Um, how do you think being a musician has helped you as a seller, uh, particularly in this virtual selling world? Oh, that's such a good question. And I'm going to actually bring it much more recent because um, it's been a couple of years since I was in a band. Uh, still, still play a little bit. Still uh, play around as a DJ. Um, here's here's where I, I think it actually had a huge impact. Um, is it, it taught me to be open to outside influences. Mm -hmm. and, and here's what I mean by that, both in a, on a practical level. So in a band, and, and you know this well, the communication on stage is so important. Right. And it's often unstated. It's just a look, a glance. You, you kind of like, hey, you, the usually if somebody's looking back at the drummer telling us through a, a glance that we're too slow or too fast. But, but that communication and learning how to take that feedback was so important. But then even as I think to this point in my life, it actually, it'll sound strange, but my openness to outside music is so much broader than it would have been had I not played in a band because mm -hmm. I have an appreciation for what other things are bringing. So if you, these days I say, I listen to everything from, you know, old school hip hop to down tempo hip hop to Gaelic folk music to uh, uh, Japanese trance, like all these different things. And what it allows me to do is as just, again, as a person, I can appreciate it. And, and I will often take influences and it's actually then gone into how I learn as a professional and, you know, the fact that I'll learn from different, you know, resources and sources outside of just, you know, my podcasts are much broader than just the sales podcast is the way I would say it. That's a good lesson to have for life because I've then found that some of the best connections I made, even things we're talking about today, didn't stem from conversations with sales professionals or sales experts, it came from outside of the industry and I've been able to apply that. And I think that that's probably one of the biggest things that I learned early on is, hey, just take what's good from everywhere and then make it your own, right? And that you really can always grow, right? There's always someone better. I mean, even if you're a world-class musician, I think Eric Clapton is still growing in his craft and Santana certainly growing in his craft with some of the collaborations just a few years ago that he did, right? So 100%. There's, 
with a lot. So where I think a growth mindset is definitely something that is, as a musician I learned. That, that, that's a that's a great way of saying up, summing it up. A growth mindset is what I learned. Yeah, <laughs> much and more succinct. A couple of other things that um, David I know have helped me, like just the ability to think about the engagement as a show. Yeah. Um, is something that I don't know if every seller kind of gets. I mean, you're there to provide information and do other things, but a little bit of it is it's got to be entertaining. And if it's entertaining, you could get your message across. Um, <laughs> Bob Dylan, right? I mean, the the poetry yeah. and the insights and the um, the movement that was created out of folk music as a great example is something to look for. Um, but you had to be entertaining at the same time. Otherwise, your message wasn't going to get across. So that's another big lesson I've learned. It's it's all about engagement. You know, I uh, one of the ways I still keep in touch with music is this will be a, a, a strange visual. So sorry for the listeners, but I, I'm a, an ins, a Zumba instructor. So Latin based aerobic fitness. I, if you, if you know, Zumba, I, I would not have pegged that David. Nobody does. I love it. I've been doing it for almost a decade, but, uh, and I'm, you know, pat myself on the back. My classes are very well attended. People really like it. But one of the reasons why is because I do my classes, like I would do a set list. Yeah. And you can appreciate that where there's the up and the down and there's the tension and the release fast and then slow. And so it's fascinating. You just said that because yet you're right. The being a good salesperson is about knowing, okay, when can I hit them with a bunch of information? When should I just slow down and make sure, you know, Hey, hey let me check in with you right now. She has to catch their breath. Right. And yeah. Ready for that next kind of thing. Yep. When am I going to hit you with that really cool feature? And when is it just, you know, Hey, I'm going to let you kind of assimilate all this information. So that idea of, presentation, whether you're in, on a stage in a group Zoom or just that one person going, hey, I need to take you through this journey, through this story, go back to your storytelling point. Yeah, super valuable. Absolutely. So I think it's a good thing all of the drum lessons and you know all my days in front of the piano actually have paid off. And it helps <laughs> there you with, go. <laughs> it helps with all that. So I, I wouldn't trade that for anything, although I'm glad I did not go down the musician's route. Um, uh, just so, <laughs> it's, it's a hard journey. It's a hard road it's to go. A hard journey, definitely. Um, what's the one piece of advice you'd like to leave our Evolvers community with today, David? You know, I, I think the one piece of advice I'd, I'd give, we touched on this before, um, and this is not a sales thing, but I think it does have an underpinnings for sales and everything else we're doing. Be, be compassionate with yourself and others. You know, we've just gone we've gone through and are going through such a, an interesting inflection moment in, in history. And uh, so I've been very fortunate that luckily I've been able to work from home. haven't had to worry about a lot of the challenges that uh, many have my, my family knock on wood has been safe and that's, that's great, but it's, it's been a lot. So I think we're seeing that everybody's a little frazzled. So be, be compassionate with yourself and then extend that compassion to others the business will come if you do if you do those things first. Love it. How can the Evolver community find and reach online and spend just a couple of couple of seconds talk about the new editions of the of the book? Yeah, so uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, LinkedIn.com/in/imdfish, I A M D F I S H, or uh, our website, DavidJPFisher.com/podcast/evolvers. That's a landing page right for uh, all the listeners there. But those are the two best places to find me online. And yeah, we have networking in the 21st century and then networking in the 21st century on LinkedIn. So two books, both with brand new editions. And the big thing was 
or the intent was to update them for uh, kind of a, a post-COVID world. And that post-COVID doesn't mean that COVID's gone, but that it's here and that we're always going to have to be wrestling with with that that public safety as an issue. Uh, it's got some really good, I think, uh, ideas, tactics, and strategies to adopt to this new world. But one thing that really s- struck me as I was working on these books was how much hasn't changed. It really is the foundational pieces, the fundamentals. Whether we're doing a, a conversation in person or over a Zoom call, it's still about connecting as a human being. So, And it is a singularity. We're not going back to the old way. Like you said, no. some remain the same, but um, that's kind of how I like to think of it is that this will probably end and we won't even realize the crisis and kind of all this stuff has ended, but there is a singularity that's there. Like we're not going back to the ways of the past, the transformations, the, the travel changes, all of these things are now what we've got to live with going forward. Pandora's box is now open. Yeah. I can't wait to get a hold of the new books, uh, particularly the one on LinkedIn, I think is going to be really important for a lot of sales and sales leaders are struggling to how do I really maximize the impact of that Mm -hmm. and that vehicle. Um, That'll be a great one, David. So end of September, September 30th, I think. That's correct. And hopefully this will be out right before then. David, always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us and making the Evolvers a great and growing community. Thank you for having me. I always love our conversations. And as always, Evolvers, keep evolving. Thank you.